What's up, guys? Episode number two of the Eat Sleep Raise podcast here at our headquarters, North Brunswick, New Jersey. We've got our guest here today, Rolando Blanco, DP Race Parts. You like DP Race Parts or Dynamic Performance? DP Race Parts is fine. All right. And becoming a regular on the show now, Ricky Silva, CLM Motorsports, and my partner, Hugo. And let's get to it. Got some questions for you, Rolando. As a uh, owner and founder of a performance shop, mainly focusing on Honda and Acuras, right? That's correct. We do a little bit of everything, but yeah, most likely Hondas. What is your favorite thing about owning a performance shop? Um, well, what we do, I kind of like what we, what we do. So that's, that's my favorite part that, you know. You're I, doing what you love. Exactly. That's cool. And doing this for 15 years, I mean, there's got to be some hurdles, some challenges of owning the shop. What would you say is a memorable challenge, one that, like, you'll never forget? Uh, so many. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of tough to pick up one. Well, I mean, go, go for it. List them out. I'm very curious to hear, of, like, some of, some of the hurdles or challenges that you've had to go through in, you know, the, the experience of building race cars. I mean, the, one of the f most critical would be, like, learn how to deal with customers. Okay, customer service side of things. Yes, that would be one of the best ones because, you know, I'm kind of, you know, my, I'm a short-tempered, so <laughs> I hear I, you. I have to learn the good way how to take care of people because, you know, at that point, you work for them. <laughs> and then uh, I, I can imagine because uh, I think my, my partners can attest to gaining and learning how to increase your tolerance, you know, um, yes being better at customer service. Ricky is on the um, customer side of things as well. Um, coming from two different points of views here, how long, how long have you been a mechanic for, uh, Ricky? Um, I worked at CLM part-time since about 2005, 2006, I want to say. Oh, that's right around when you founded yeah. DP, right? Yeah, yeah, we found it right after then. Yeah, so we, I used to do that part-time. Then I also um, we started full-time there about seven years ago. Uh, but I also was a dealer mechanic for 13 years. So I kind of got to, I would deal with a lot of customers there. So would you say that's one of the biggest challenges as well? Is that something like for all mechanics? Actually, Hugo's a me uh, trained mechanic as well. Is that something all you guys would agree on? It's Especially if, um, like from the dealer side, if you had a service writer that wasn't very good at what they were doing, a lot of times they would just push them off onto the tech and be like, hey, just explain it to them. So a lot of times you kind of had to deal with both. At one point, I was even like a team leader there. So I had a group of guys that I had to oversee. Right. So I would end up having to, you know, wear both hats, you know, wear the tech and also do like the customer service side of things. But, you know, I agree with what Rolando said. Sometimes just managing the customer expectation and even just, you know, the customer service side of things. Sometimes guys, you know, you got to look at it like they come in, they spend if they're spending 10 grand or they're spending a hundred grand to what, whoever it is, it's a lot of money. Mm. And, you know, they sometimes have higher expectations than what they're, you know, been getting. So sometimes you just got to manage that. And even just getting the, um, you know, just the communication thing is big a lot of times. Cause you know, guys will come in, you quote them one thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, I want to add this and this and this and this. And they keep moving that goalpost on you. I'm, I'm one of those, huh? Yes. yes. <laughs> so, you, you know how it is, but they'll start moving the goalpost on you. And then by the end of the build, you know, the build has now doubled. And you're like, oh, man, but that's not what you quoted me. 
It's like, yeah, but we also did all this additional stuff. So, you know, just kind of being on top of that aspect of things sometimes is a little bit tough. And knowing how to say no. There's definitely, you got to know how to say no. Honestly, Ricky knows how to say no. Because actually this CRX right here, Ricky and CLM. No CRXs in our shop. Have done quite a few things to this car. And I'll actually attest to that. I was that customer that I dropped it off for one thing. And then I'll text Ricky two days later. Like, hey, by the way, could you also do this? And he's like, bro, we, yeah. we, we agreed to doing this. I got a whole line of, lineup of customers and yeah. you got to bring it back. And what else could I say to that? I got to say. Yeah, okay. at schedule at times, me for another day. At times you deal with that. The other thing is, you know, sometimes guys come in, you know, everyone's last minute with everything. So you'll get guys that come in, oh, hey, I need this done. I need it yesterday. And it's like, like, hey, like that doesn't work. Like I got 10 guys waiting to come in that have been waiting for a long time. I'm sure Rolando could attest to that. Like a lot of the shops in this area are super busy. You know, it's a very densely populated area of import performance. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's a good problem to have. When I was going to say, that's a, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we're lucky enough to be in a, in a good part of the country. We're, we're racing for us is so high level that we are so crazy busy mm-hmm. that we can keep up. You, no matter what shop you go yeah. around the area, they all busy. They all tell you, like, for a part or to get the car in. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, we are at the point that we cannot get a car we tell customer, if it calls me today, you know, I got to make an appointment for you for like four weeks. Four really? weeks out. To bring the cars. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. You know what's kind of crazy that you bring that up when I talk about challenges? I got two big challenges. And you tell me if, how big of a challenge, if it even affected you guys. One of them is because we are so local to Raceway Park, which is, you know, a legendary track that stopped and closed down drag racing, which is, you know, kind of both of your guys' business. Yeah. When that track closed down, Oh, man, how many years ago has it closed down? Four yeah, or five 17, years? 2017, 2018. So when that track closed, did it really affect your business? Because I thought it would affect a lot of the local shops. Did it? Um, I don't think so. Because, you know, we're lucky enough to have ACO. Right. It's like a little bit farther, farther away from us. But I don't think it's It so didn't bad. really impact nah, the business. Nah, not a lot. I think a lot, of, um, a lot of the guys that used to go to the track just ended up starting to street race more. And honestly, so I that think, is the, I think it ramped that up and, or guys just that were on the verge of being more of a race car versus more of a street car, either transition back to being more of a street car. We had guys do that, or we had guys that just made the commitment like, Hey, you know what? I got to get a truck. I got to get a trailer because now the closest track is Atco. you know, it's an hour and a half it's two hours away. So you had a lot of guys that did that. But, uh, as far as hurting business, honestly, I don't think that really made a difference. Um, honestly, I'll even be tell you the truth. I'm sure Orlando could probably agree. COVID didn't make a difference either. No, no, no we were so busy. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, COVID, I think everyone was home. Everyone had extra money to spend. It got to a point where, um, you know, all those projects that were sitting at home, not getting touched, were starting to get finished. You know, we were here from customers that we haven't heard from in two, three years. Like, hey, you know, bringing my car back out, you know, so... I think that definitely helped. Um, and honestly, it's, it's been kind of a, on an upswing from there, to tell you the truth. What, probably the only challenge that you guys dealt with was getting parts during COVID then, huh? I heard yeah. there was like a shortage or you had to wait a long time. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of uh, shortage and most likely like engine parts. But still, is, is that still happening today? A little, very little. I mean, we're yeah. getting back to normal again. But I some, think most places are like ramped up, yeah. catching up with all the production. 
Yeah, a lot of places are caught up. You still see a little bit of lead time. Basically, guys are, you know, when COVID hit, production got shut down. But the demand went up because everyone was working on their cars. So then when they opened back up, there was such a backlog. And then materials were hard to get. So some stuff is not as bad. But I remember at one point, it was like 12 weeks to get a set of pistons. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, Rolando, being on the fabrication side of things where you're actually making parts that people want to order, did the demand spike through the roof and it was hard to, you know, meet with the demand? And how far back did that put you back? Absolutely. Because, you know, at some point we couldn't even get uh, clamps from Brian or piping or... Your raw material, you couldn't yes, even, even get it. Yes, even Chrome was tough to get. Mm -hmm. So we have to... Expensive too. Yes. So we, what we did was we just bought enough. So we have... In case, you know, expecting some jobs is going to come in and then we have enough to kind of get us through it. But it, it was it was it was definitely a challenge. Would you say because of COVID business is better now than it it's ever been? I don't know how to explain it, but it's been. It's been definitely. Busy. busy. <laughs> yes, yes. I got I got a question for you guys, you know, both of you guys are having your own shops, having your own businesses. How important is it for you guys to give out your personal numbers to your customers? Is that something that you guys do or you stay away from? Cause no, I don't. Well, depends on the customer. If it's like a long-term customer, yeah. which more friend than customer at that right, point, right, yes. Right, right, But I actually just now just got a cell phone for a shop. You need that. I think, I think that's necessary because yes. um, so. I know friends, you know, I have a lot of friends in different, different shops, whether it's all race performance shops, but, you know, leading up to big races, you know, the, the weeks to come, you know, their phones don't, their phones stay blowing up. The biggest problem is that people think just because they got time, we are in the same spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys are on the same, you guys are on the same time. Call them Sundays or texting Sundays or asking a question on Sundays. Yeah. Like I got to the point that I don't even answer after Saturday, four o'clock when I'm done, I don't even answer more Instagram, Facebook or nothing until Monday because, you know, I, I mean, we got lives too. Like we, we. Time like management, relax is, and stuff, time management right? I think, is, is a big thing. So, but yeah, I just got a shop for a uh, cell phone so people can ask me whatever they want. And I, I, I actually leave the, the phone at the shop. And when I go back in the morning, I check it or whatever. And then uh, same thing on Mondays. I think that comes along with the growth of the business, though, because for a shop starting out, guys starting out, you're grinding and out. You're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like whatever comes your way, I'll take it. Yep. But thankfully, you're in a position now in which... You could take off on Sundays. That's a, that's a luxury to you guys, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, that's the thing. You just kind of got to build that. You know, you can't be a victim of your own, of things you create, basically. Like, you know, if you start answering these guys on a Sunday, now they always expect it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've also been the guy who's working on his car on a Saturday or Sunday, and you break something, and you're like, oh, man, like, is such and such around? Maybe they could point me in the right direction. Or, you know, is this guy around that I could go buy a part? So, like, the, I have a little tolerance for it, but to an extent where I got to I'll tell you a story. Not that long ago, I had a, I wake up on a Sunday morning. I have a DM on Facebook from a Facebook Marketplace ad that I have for McLeod Clutches. And he's like, hey, is this available? And then at six in the morning, he's question marking me saying, come on, man, is this available or not? And I, <laughs> I wake up. It's like eight, nine o'clock. And I respond. And I'm like, dude, first off, don't be rude. You messaged me at, on top of it, he's from New York. So it's like, you know, it's East Coast. It's like, you messaged me at like two, three in the morning. Now you're messaging me again at six. Like, come on, man. 
like have some respect for people, <laughs> right. but you get guys, you know what it is? It's that instant gratification world, you know, like Amazon prime and, you know, likes and the social media access gives people uh, very easy access to anybody. You know, nowadays you could DM somebody, Facebook message, somebody shit. You even get guys sometimes that'll just try to video chat you out of nowhere. It's like, mm -hmm. who the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta try to, you know, keep that little bit of a, a line of respect too. you know, you guys probably use this feature. If you have the iPhone, it has the uh, turn off notifications, do not right? Disturb. Yeah. I, I see that on quite a few people. I mean, texted off and they, uh, yeah. they got their limits and it's, it's, it's a good thing, you know, Yeah, you're yeah, able you to get it. your private time. Absolutely. We need it. Yeah, definitely need it. Um, being in the performance shop business, mainly Hondas and Acuras, one of the fastest classes for Hondas and Acuras, and you have a race car in this class is sport front wheel drive. Correct. How many years have you been racing in that class? Uh, over 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. Ricky, how long have you been racing in it? Um, the first race that my car went to was the fall of 2010. So, so. 13 years. Yeah, yeah a you guys bit, are, uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit. I, I came a little bit after they did. Yeah. So veterans to the class, would you say you're like one of the originals to race that class? That are still racing? They're still yeah. racing, yes. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. Us, Norris. Norris's team, I should say, because Norris has had a lot of different drivers over the years. But, yeah, we're probably one of the few that are still racing consistently. I want to say in the United States, how many sport front-wheel drive cars even exist? Oh, oh, over 200. Yeah. Over 200? I, think, I was going to say, is it I like think, 50 cars? Is so it? I think when they started putting together this uh, list of cars that they were potentially going to invite for the World Series of Pro Mod Race, I want to say there was like active, like over 200 cars. Really? Yeah. Like it was a big, big chunk of cars. Well, that's, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. So knowing that, you know, this is your main line of business, you're fabricating parts for these cars. How much does it cost to build a sport front wheel drive car? Like if I came to you, Let's say I just won the lottery. I'm like, yo, I want my dreams a sport front wheel drive car. I walk into DP. How much do you, would you say I need? Like a 125. 125. Yep. And that's, I pass you 125. I'm walking out here with what, eight second car, seven second car? Probably seven second car. Really? Yeah. All right. Um, to add to what he just said. So I, I, we get this question all the time. I know they do too. I, what I usually tell customers is, there's a difference between racing sport front wheel drive and competing in sport front wheel drive. Mm -hmm. Racing sport front wheel drive means you're gonna show up, you're gonna race. If it breaks, you're gonna put it on the trailer, you're gonna crack a beer and you're hanging out with your friends. So that's 125 just to get the car. A and running car. Running car, yes. Maybe yeah. bank one that's pass. That's not competing, yes. That's not competing. So how much do you need in the bank to run a... A weekend, a race. Yeah, let's, let's compare a race to a season. I mean, to get the car ready from the shop is 125, and you need a spare trans, spare engine, spare tires, spare, spare axles, set, <laughs> so two what, sets of wheels. Would you say another safely? You need another 10 in the no real more, more 30. Yeah, real, <laughs> another realist, 30. Realistically, if you came and said, "Hey, I have a chassis and I want to build a car, and you want to compete," where by compete I mean you want spare parts, you want the tires, you want your tuner at the track, you're going to be probably close to 200 grand all yeah. said and done. Easy. 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 Do you have customers that come to the shop like that? Yeah, we just build a black hoop. Yeah. For a customer. Yeah. Who just first, said, he's first like. First time out was seven, seven seconds. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, so this is a realistic question that I'm asking. Somebody oh, yeah. just walked in and was like, I want a seven second car. Well, it wasn't seven second where we, he, he didn't ask to be a seven second, but he obviously. Want, he wanted a, it a was going to be fast, a but competitive we car. even surprised ourselves. First, 
Second pause on the car. Get out of here. Seconds. Man, good for him. Yeah, that, that weekend, I even, I even told Rolando, I was like, man, nope. I was like, that's like the storybook weekend right there. Yeah. Right. That I was, was like, uh, it came Am. out, first time out, car ran hard, and it's like, it did good. From him walking into the shop, dropping the bag, how long did it take for him to get on the track? Um, it almost took us a year to finish it. One we're year. So busy. Okay. That's yeah, why. That's the realistic time. Realistic. Yeah. Okay. That's because if we would have been focused just on that car, we would have done it faster, but dude, we, were, we got. A line of cars before that one. That car came to the shop to do a ten point and the transmission, and then it ended up being a, a full a build, full build, full wheel drive car. Yeah. Oh, so he didn't plan like he didn't walk into your shop and say like I want an eight second car no, and no, here's no. the bag. It's just gonna be like ten second car, ten fit the index, and and it just kept escalating. Fun. Yep. They start moving the goalpost. That's it. But the, the difference here is they accepted it. Yeah, like yeah. okay, all right, I'll take it. So. Note to self, if you're trying to get an eight, seven-second sport front-wheel drive car at any of these performance shops, make sure you're coming in ready to spend at least 200 And if you want your car sooner than a year, make sure you got even more than 200 because oh, yeah. it could get market. done yeah. we can do the for the right price. There's the yeah. expedite fee. Yeah. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. So knowing how, how many cars, I mean, in the 15 years that you've been in business, how many sport front-wheel drive cars have come out of your shop like uh, that you guys built? Uh, I got to say probably 10 plus. And I don't know exactly the name, but the number, but 10 plus. 10 cars. Yeah. So for people listening, like, oh, man, you only built 10 cars. That doesn't sound like a lot. That's only sport front because you'll work on any Honda that races, right? Funny, funny to say it, but at one point... And racing, CLM and DP got the most cars on, on the front wheel drive. Yeah. And like that you guys orange. built. Yeah. 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 Back in like 2011, 2012, between Dynamics Shop and our shop, we had that little corner at English Town where yeah. we all used to park. And it was probably a good like 15, 16 cars between both shops. Yep. Yeah, we used to have a Between lot all our customer stuff and our own cars. Yeah, there was a, yeah, now that you say that, you are 100% right. Yeah, and then we get noticed on top of that. He used to have like two, three cars. Yeah. And then the rest of the guys, they show up around from Philly and around this area. I didn't even know there's over 200 cars out there. Let's say even over 100. There's not one event that you'll get all these cars together to yet, right? No, like it, it doesn't exist. It's tough to get two cars from the same shop at the same event sometimes. Yeah. You know, like. What's the biggest field like in the history of sport front class that have showed up to an event? Like 40 cars? Well, because the field's usually 32, only right? Front with drive cars. Sport front. Yeah, full nationals back in the day. How yeah. many? Yeah. How many cars? Probably I think we 30s. got over 32. Yeah. Probably. If you look at World Cup, World Cup, they take in 60 something cars. On the bigger years, it was about 60 cars. And I would say probably 40 to 50 were front wheel drive cars only. Because oh, yeah. the class that we race in in Super Street, that's like predominantly it's Hondas. Hondas, Acuras for the most part. And then, you know, you got maybe your handful of domestics, maybe a Supra here and there, depending on the rules set for that year. But, yeah, for the most part, it's, it's usually a lot of the Honda guys. So the parts that you guys are fabricating in-house, you got a lot of DP branded parts, oil pans, mounts, et cetera. Is it only for sport front-wheel drive cars? or No, we do a lot of for like street cars also. That's cool. Yeah. So that's so when someone's thinking about your shop, it's not just like you, you have to have a sport front wheel drive car. If you, if you have a Honda that you're racing, they yeah. could buy parts from we've you guys. Been, we've been building a lot of old drive parts also. So 
that's that's a hide item. We do like a oh, like a overdrive uh, fuel cells for like street cars. A lot of overdrive cars are for street, and we sell in so many of those tanks. It's, it's we can keep up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We actually got a tank from them the other day. Yeah. They're pretty fun. They're they're nice. We build two. I mean, some people want just one. It's five gallons, and then we do the the other side, so you can carry ten gallons of fuel. So is the bigger part of the business now? Because originally when you started, it was just bringing cars, we wrench on them, and that's how we make money. And then you grew into making the parts Correct. that you're installing. At the point of the business that you are now, 15 years, is what's the bigger side of the business? Is it the fabricating the parts, or is it still working on the cars? Both. So it's kind of 50-50? Yes, yes. And then we add the little parts here and there. and Like selling parts, Correct. you're saying? Yeah. What, what would you say is the biggest challenge of of running a shop the biggest challenge is uh just keep the same amount of money coming every month keep because, the cash flow yes because cash some, flow is the some biggest months problem. are super busy some months are slow and you know i got employees i gotta pay them and i gotta pay myself how many but guys you got working at your shop now? right now we're five and, and and on the employee side is it is it do you find that it's hard to find like good help oh yeah we've been looking for fabricator for almost four years now so alan's so, the Alan Only is the, the, main, the main fabricator, yes. Do you have other fabricators now? Yeah, or? now I got somebody else, Christopher Canela. Okay. Yeah, he also owned that Red Integra. But it took you a long time. It took us a long time. Now, actually, we've kind of forced him to be fabricator. <laughs> <laughs> so now that's what he's doing now. He's a really good mechanic, too. I see it on Instagram, too. Like, Alan, who's also just became a dad like two weeks ago. Yes, Congrats right. to Alan. But I see he gets to the shop four, 5 a.m., and he's, he's on the welder. Yeah, he's uh, he don't stop. Only stop to 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 eat and you know unless somebody call him or something or I need him for for something he stops and then, but he that guy is he's a machine on the on the welding. He don't have to deal with the customer service. No, now. he doesn't. No, no, he just straight work and get get in the, get get stuff done. So are you the main customer service guy? Like if somebody wants to Correct. do something at DP, you're the Correct. one yeah, they got to talk to. And they wanna I gotta talk to. So him. you know. Heads up, if you're trying to call DP, make sure you're uh, having a good day. Don't call Rolando on a bad day. Cause no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's I'm better now? It's oh, good? Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely different now. I know you go to the gym a lot. Is that, yeah. Does that help? Yep, that helps a lot. That I left all my uh, stress in there. That's good. That's good. <laughs> if you watch uh, Rolando's, check out his What Do You Do For A Living video on our Instagram. I didn't even get to ask Rolando, and he's flexing on us already. I said, oh, man. That was funny. That was that's funny. how you know Rolando been in the gym. That's, how, that's, that's what he's thinking about all the time. He's, yep, that's it. We got to send them to go work out with Hugo over here. Yeah. I, 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 the, the power lifting guys over here. <laughs> no, Big no, weight, no, fast cars, and lift, lifting weight. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we just spoke about some fast cars. We all just came from an event in Florida where there were a lot of fast cars, and... This weather in New Jersey is a whole lot different than what we had in Florida oh, last yeah. week. Talking sport front-wheel drive, it was actually the slower of the cars that were at the World Series of Pro Mod, Drag Illustrated World Series of Pro Mod. Shout out to Wes and the entire team over there putting on, what is it called? The biggest, richest race in the history of the known universe. Yep, Pro there Mod you go. race. Pro Mod race, hundred thousand dollar payout to the winner, one winner of the Pro Mod race, got a hundred grand. Went to good old Canada. Yeah. And you guys, what the for the sport front class was 20 20k. And the way I remember this panned out, the sport front wheel drive class originally wasn't supposed to be part of the event. It was just supposed to be Pro Mod originally, but 
I don't I don't even know how do you guys know how Sportfront got involved in joining this originally domestic event? I think this kind of started as a uh, conversation over some beers at PRI and um, we were actually me Hugo were at actually the turn 14 party the one night and Victor was there and a couple other guys. Victor is the owner of Victor Alvarez from Bradenton Motorsports Park. He was there and he was kind of like hey you know we're doing this pro mod race he was like do you think we can get like 20 sport front cars to come down and if I get them to have the class and my opinion I was like I think you have 20 sport front cars in Florida alone if you really wanted it so he's like all right let me uh you know let me see let me go talk to a couple people and see what happens so then like this was I think Friday night on Saturday night we were all actually at the JW with the guys from Drag Illustrated and uh Wes was there and I remember like kind of throwing it out there like hey so what are we you know we're gonna see some front wheel drive cars at the world series and he was just like yeah we are and i'm like like oh. for real and he's like yeah so then i text victor i'm like hey like is this thing a go <laughs> and he's like i don't know he hasn't said nothing yet and then you know a couple days later then the ball started rolling like all right you know they people started put, getting the phone calls yeah they put together a little group chat to try to gauge interest see who was definitely down to go and then probably about like three four weeks later we started actually getting the invite letters sent out to us and yeah, you know, it was one of those things where they, again, it wasn't just like the pro mod side. It wasn't the 25 fastest cars in the class. They will tell you straight up. It wasn't that, but they wanted 25 of the most, they wanted diversity. They wanted to have different engine combinations, different tuners, different parts of the country. So they got a little bit of everything there. So there was a lot, a good mix of cars. Um, it was definitely a fast field. It was a tough field because, you know, everyone was trying to, you know, there's 20 grand on the line. So guys are really trying to push their stuff to one winner, too. Right. Just yeah, one person. That's 20 it. Grand. One, one check was cut. Nothing else. So this was real open minded of the Drag Illustrated guys to take, you know, originally an entirely domestic event and throw some imports to it. From what I know, is this the first time imports were mixed together with, you know, typically small tire big tire cars like this is kind of their show and you guys are just showing up there yeah world cup um you know jason miller's world cup event is usually it's an import versus domestic race but this was a predominantly domestic event and and you guys show up (laughs) you know what it is it's you know vic vic has always said that so vic has other um big events at bradington they have the snowbirds they have the u.s street nationals those are all big outlaw uh drag radial big tire pro mod events right but he says he's like i can't get my guys from the snowbirds to come to fl2k which fl2k is like a import slash supercar they have you know twin turbo lambos and r8s roll racing drag racing they have a little bit of everything he's like i can't get my guys from the snowbirds or u.s street nationals to go to fl2k just like i can't get my fans from fl2k to go to the u.s street nationals He's like, if we can just get, like, a percentage of those guys to go to the other race, he's like... It'd be a massive event. It'll be a massive event, plus it'll open up the eyes. Like, you're going to go, and you're going to be like, oh, man, this was cool. I'm going to bring my friends next time. So him and Wes both have the same vision of trying to, like, cross-pollinate the import and the domestic guys at the same events. You know, I know a couple years ago, Wes did a... The Drag Illustrated guys did what was called the Door Slammer Nationals in Orlando, and that was just pro mod and pro stock. And they did an invite only for like a handful of the pro import, pro rear wheel drive guys. And they said it. They're like, dude, like the energy there with those guys was unbelievable. And they're like, we need more of that. 
So that was kind of their, their ultimate vision is like, we need to try to get everyone together, you know? And, I like that. And that was, I think, a, a good thing, you know, depending on who you ask, some guys uh, were happy that we were there. Some guys weren't, but from my experience between fans just other racers like every time we pull to the lanes there was groups of people around our cars their car everyone's there they're asking questions like hey why are your tires on the wrong side you know how much power does this thing make why is this thing crackling and popping on the starting line like what is it doing even the pro mod guys were coming over like man these things are cool you know how much power does it make like what tire pressure do you guys run and it was just they were genuinely interested in what we were doing so I think it was a good event. I think it was positive on all ends. And honestly, for us, being able to race on a stage with cars like that was, you know, it's unbelievable. You guys are going to be on TV maybe. Maybe maybe a little snippet. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. You know what I mean? I saw that, right? They're going to air this race on CBS at some point? CBS Sports. Yeah, so yeah. they have a deal with CBS Sports. Um, to the extent of what's going to be on there, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I, if I would guess, I'm pretty sure they're going to. Sh- it's going to be predominantly ProMod-based. Pro and then they – you know, I would think that they may do like the final rounds of the other classes, depending on what, you know, that was a very alignment. interesting uh, final race for your class. So we'll save that for the people to yeah, figure out on yeah. their own who won that race. But that was a uh, very. That was a perfect example of um, you don't have what, to be the fastest guy. No, the, the, both those cars are damn fast. Um, but that was a perfect example of you're going to do whatever it takes to win the money. That's right. So. That's we right. would have, me and him would have done the same thing Absolutely. if we were up there. I've, we've done it before, put it that way, you know? So we were actually talking about it before. Um, you need about 200 grand to, you know, get a sport front wheel drive car. Program. You know, a pro- whole program, program. And then probably per race you need, you know, if you're going down from Jersey to Florida, what do you say? You need at least 10 grand? Nah, it's not that much. Five grand? I mean, just 10 grand used to be safe. In case you break some happens. stuff? No. Down the- down the road, but so talking about you know the two different um, types of classes, there were other classes in between. Like I saw, there were some dragsters there, but sport front wheel drive to pro mod, you know, budget wise, those guys are coming in eighteen wheelers. Their programs, those cars I hear, cost half a million to seven hundred fifty grand to just That's get their difference. program started. Yeah, I hear for them to make an event, you need at least fifty k because they have staff yeah whole fleet like literally motors. whole staff right. and yeah. apparently these motors are 200 grand each yeah you're gonna spend so not that long ago there's a uh, the guys of from proline racing down in georgia they 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 supply a lot of people with engines they build a lot of cars they also manage like full teams for people uh they put out a thing saying that they had a, a top tier pro mod car available for rent and the rumor was it was about forty to fifty thousand a race. If you wanted to rent their car, basically and- you would show up with your helmet and your suit and just jump in and drive, and they do everything else. Now, as far as what happens if you you know wad the thing up or if you send the rods packing out of it, that I don't know. But uh, it was about so the rumor was it's about forty to fifty thousand per race to to just jump in one of those cars and campaign. Do it. you think? Uh- World Series of Pro Mod, there were some rented cars there out there. Definitely was, yeah. So there's some guys who just paid 50 grand to get in a car. Yeah, there's some guys that paid. I think there's a couple guys that were in some cars that might have not paid because there were some last minute deals that happened. So with the World Series, they didn't invite like specific teams. Like they invited drivers. So there were some guys that were racing that were like grudge racers. Like the guy Travis Harvey, he's a grudge racer, big grudge racer in the South. 
I don't think he has a pro mod, but he rented a car from somebody. Oh, wow. Um, same thing with, like, the guy Marcus Burt. He was originally invited. He's a badass, you know, radial tire racer, small tire racer. But he didn't have a pro mod. But I think he ended up actually jumping in one of the pro line cars because uh, Jose Gonzalez couldn't make it. So they were like, hey, listen, he can't make it. Car's available. And he ended up taking that. But, yeah, there was quite a few guys that were in, uh, in rented rides or, you know, borrowed cars. for. And that. this isn't something uncommon in motorsports. I know this is something that they do in NASCAR as well. Like, if you, this is a bucket list dream of yours and you want to, you know, get in a three-second car or get behind the wheel of a 200-mile-an-hour stock car and compete at Daytona 500, if, you, if your pockets are deep enough, your dreams could happen. For sure, for sure. Uh, you have, have, have to have some experience to do that, too. Yeah. Because yeah, you're not just jumping in. They tell me, jump in a car and do it. I might jump on it, but I don't know how to maneuver. <laughs> I'm curious how that you works. Can, you can nowadays, even in top fuel. Top fuel yeah. cars, you want to go to, you know, you want to go to, like, Don Schumacher or one of these teams. Well, Don Schumacher, probably not so much now because I think he got rid of a lot of his stuff. But, you know, you could show up at one of these shops like, hey, I want to race top fuel. They're like, okay, how much money do you have? Like, hey, you know, I could, I could bring $5 million. They're like, okay, we could probably put you in a car for a full season or something like that. Um, same thing in pro stock. Pro stock's the same thing. You know, elite motorsports, like elite motorsports right now where Erica Enders drives, same thing. You show up there like, hey, listen, I got some money. I want to race pro stock. And depending on what, you know, what you're looking to spend, you could, you know, you could do a full operation where same thing, you just show up with your suit and your helmet and drive. Or you could be like, hey, I got a car, I got a trailer, I got a crew. I just want to lease an engine from you. So basically you'll show up at the track with a car with no engine. They give you an engine. At the end of the day, it comes back out and they hold on to it in the trailer. And then the next day you put it back in. And then at the end of the weekend, your car goes home the way it showed up with no engine. Wow. Yeah, so it's uh, they, there's, do that. there's a lot sure. of levels to it when you get to those tiers. Um, and again, it comes down to how you know, much money. How much money? Table. Yeah, if you have like, you know, like uh, some of these big companies like Red Bull, Monster, they sponsor the athletes. They don't sponsor the car. So it's like if Rolando's sponsored by Red Bull, they're going to be like, hey, we're going to do whatever you want to do. You want to race cars? Cool. You want to race boats? No problem. So he's going to say, hey, I got $5 million from Red Bull to spend. I want to go here. And a lot of times these teams are like, sure, we'll take your money and we'll put you in a car and we'll go out there and compete. So it's definitely cheaper at sometimes at those levels than building your own car, just renting. Have you ever heard of this happening? Rental or drivers getting in rental cars in, in the imports, you know, rear wheel drive, front wheel drive, rear wheel drive. Yes. Back. I, drive, yeah. I know back in the, uh, like, Hey Dave, NHRA, I think Titan Motorsports when they were campaigning a two car team, there was rumors that the one guy was uh, pretty much paying to drive. So you see that in the do you guys see that in the future of import racing, or is there's no teams or companies out there willing to build cars? Like I don't that? think there's anyone doing it at that level. I don't think where, it's, that, it's just not there. Yeah. The, the the sport is not there yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. At some point, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right now, I, I mean, don't think so. Right now, everyone's kind of building all their own stuff. Hey, idea for DP. If you got a Got some extra time down the road to build an extra sport front wheel so drive we, car. We've actually, uh, when that post came around on Facebook about them renting that pro mod, me and Cunha actually like were talking about it. Like, man, like, what do you think it would cost for like a weekend? Like, basically the same thing. Like, we'll bring the car to the track, we'll trailer it there, we'll set it up, we'll crew on it, we'll tune it. You just jump in and drive it. And at the end of the weekend, we take the car home, we do the maintenance on it, and at the next event, it's back there again. 
And we were kind of going back and forth and it's like, you know, it gets tricky because when you got to start factoring in like breakage stuff, like, okay, you know, let's say you go out there and you do some kind of error driving and you blow it up. Like, all right, who's that on, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the thing. Like you gotta, it's, it's a little tricky when you get to that stuff. Like these rear wheel drive cars, they're pretty, pretty well dialed in, you know, they're top tier cars. So they kind of already have like us, like they know at 30 runs, you're putting a set of rods in it at 50 runs you're doing this you know like they have a, a maintenance program like a really dialed in but there's also program. the room for driver error oh 100 oh, percent, especially yeah. in those cars those cars you know those things pull the wheel sometimes and they end up flying through the air hey maybe because it's a proven business model for these other classes you could take a page out of their uh business plan here and just see what does happen when these cars blow up yeah yeah not a bad idea for you uh, business owners over here with the with I the Hondas and Acura. I would do a 1050 in the car. It'd be a lot cheaper. You can do it with a stock engine. Yeah. <laughs> there you don't want to do a one two one, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or just stay on a limited while you're shifting it. So yeah. All the valves, all the valves will go through the roof. Hey, if you guys are watching this and have a dream, uh, getting behind the wheel for uh, you know a fast Honda Acura, sound off. Let let. You got to spam DP race parts on Instagram. Let them know they got to get this program going. Yeah, we, we send it to CLM. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a, a guy that was pitted near us at the this race this past week had asked. It's like, oh, you know, like, what does it cost to build something like this? And we started same conversation, started throwing some numbers around. And he's like, um, but what if I just wanted to buy yours? And I'm like, ah, man, I was like, I don't know. I was like, I was like, if I were to sell mine, I was like, you got to take everything. You got to take the car, the trailer, all the parts. Like, I want nothing left. Like. So like that, I don't have the. Itch you got to too get much emotional attachment to it, though. It is, you know what it is too. It's like this is what I do for a living, so it's like all right, I'm still gonna be around it, you know. I'm still like, and then afterwards, like all right, like now, what am I gonna do with my free time? I'm sure you gotta, you gotta build another one. That's what ends up happening. Yeah, you know? I would do it. Not I a bad it. thing, right? I did it with my coupe. Yeah. The only thing is left is the, 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 the chassis, right? No, I don't even have it. What no, do you no. mean? Somebody bought the car from you? Yeah, I saw it. Like somebody just walked in and was like, I want to buy that thing. No, I put it out and then oh, uh, okay. I have the I have the shell. Somebody bought it. Supposed to be as in PA, but I haven't seen it. So what's up with this uh the white EK now? Somebody walked in. What's the price tag on that? Mm, I'll have to fight with Alan because <laughs> that's kinda his uh I mean Alan could find out through this podcast if you were to put a price tag on that car. I would do it. How much? But he wouldn't do it. But how much? Like one fifty. So somebody came in and said, I want your seven second car and you'd be like Give me 150. Yeah, we'll build another one. That car, used to, I remember that car is still a street car. Yeah. Well, your car was a street car too. Yeah, many, many moons ago. So I think that's why like these two guys have good attachments because that car literally has been around yeah. for yeah. as long as the business has been open, you know, Correct. even before that. Before that, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that, that the hatch, it was actually Anna's dad. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember to, seeing those, it, uh, both around. your cars, you know, English Town, Testing mm -hmm. Tunes, you know, Wednesdays and Fridays, Yeah. you know, local events, so... So if you want a seven-second EK hatchback B-Series, hit up a DP Race Parts on Instagram. If you got 150 grand, you can make it happen. Car's proven. How many times have they run sevens? A bunch of times. See? Do they get, they get some track support with that, too, for the 150? Yeah, we can. One for, or for two that, events? For that price, well, yeah. Yeah, we can. A couple days. All right, so now uh, we're going to put Ricky on the hot seat right here. Put a price tag on that car of yours. I don't, 
I, I've, I've actually had a couple like serious people ask me, and I, I don't know if I would want to. Just put the price tags. Everybody it, got it a would, number. It would have to be like, 200. No, nah, it wouldn't be that much. Realistically, knowing with some of these other cars that have gotten sold in the past for it, and these are like top tier cars, I would say probably like 100 for like everything, though. Like I want take it, take it all. Yeah, like, I don't want nothing left behind. Yeah, Ricky's is a deal, yo. That yeah, sounds so. like a steal right now. <laughs> so, so somebody could Rolando's is the I don't want to sell it price. Yep, exactly. That's what <laughs> okay, okay. So Ricky's price, a hundred grand, trailer, everything. Cars ran eight oh. Yeah, one eight oh one last weekend. So you could get an eight second flat car for a hundred grand. You walk into CLM Motorsports and Woodbridge with the blank check. Don't even need the blank check. No, you no, gotta no. be the check cash, written out. Cash, cash, oh, cash. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no checks. So if it's the check, it's gotta be one one thirty or something no, no like checks, that. No checks. No checks. No credit. It could so be they got a certified gotta, check. Certified check. They works, gotta walk yeah. in with the duffel bags yeah. with a hundred k in it, and they could they could take a whole race program. You're saying? Yeah, I would probably for that price, I would probably let it go. But honestly, it's. It's Would like you build a, another one right after? See, that's the problem. He has to ask Ashley, though. That's, <laughs> I can't even say I'm going to let it go. You got to spend a lot of more. A lot a more. Ashley, Ashley uh, if it came down to the race car or the motorcycle, she'd say get rid of the race car. But uh, she she definitely enjoys it, too. She was actually pretty bummed out that she wasn't able and to And Ashley's his wife, by the way. Yes. Uh, pregnant wife. I love you, babe. <laughs> um, so she was kind of bummed out she didn't get to come with us last weekend. But, you know, she's been a big part of our team she kind of keeps everyone in check keeps us fed you know she's like the crew chief as like we like to call her mm -hmm. and uh keeps everyone in check and uh, in line so like that you know so keeps the operation running Rolando actually said it he's like if you sold the car for 100 grand if you wanted to build a new one you'd actually spend more money to put another like, 50 on top yeah. easy and that's honestly like we kind of had a conversation like this at the track where you know a couple guys were saying that they could build it for less than that it would be tough to build, like even me doing everything myself, no labor, not paying for any labor, it would still be tough. But the other thing is too, is both our cars have kind of come the same route where they started off as street cars and then they've evolved and evolved and changes and changes and changes. Where right now, if we were to go build a car, we would build it better than what our cars are now because we've already learned a lot and our yeah. cars have seen so many iterations and changes to them over the years where you know like he he knows because he actually gave me some advice over this over the winter where my car wasn't very cut up and you know last year we were at fl2k and he's like oh man like you could take a lot of weight out of this thing you know let me know when you're ready i'll give you some ideas and stuff so we talked over the winter and i took a bunch of i did i got like 50 pounds out of the car from the driver's seat back and i'm like man like this would be so much easier if there was no roll cage in the car like if you were to start from scratch with yeah. a blank canvas, you could just do so much more because it's getting to a point where like the back when we first started, the class wasn't as crazy as it is now, where now you have to have a purpose-built car to be able to compete. And that's where some of these cars, like perfect example of like a purpose-built car is uh, Kevin's car from Florida, Chaplin's son. Um, that thing's a killer. That thing runs 780s, 790s, everywhere it goes. But that car was a purpose-built, basically, race car. Like, if you look at it on the inside, that thing is like a skin on top of a roll cage. So is that why you price your car at 100 Because you kind of do want somebody to buy it so no, you could do a purpose-built? Re realistically, I don't think anyone would buy it. 
Like, put it this way. We got, we have had cars for sale before. Ricky, little do you know, somebody watching this is getting hey, the bag ready. Yeah, right. At Ricky CLM, uh, slide in the DMs. <laughs> so, but yeah, there, it's, uh, nowadays the class is so competitive that that stuff makes a difference. It's kind of like if you look at ProMod. You look at ProMod, you see a lot of new body Camaros in ProMod. It's because the aerodynamics on those new body Camaros is second to none. So when you're in a class, like, this past weekend, number one was like, I think, uh, a 362. This is eighth mile times or 364. And number 32 was like a 368, 367. So you got 32 cars in such a tight gap. When you're talking about, you know, six or seven hundredths just from arrow, it makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's kind of the same thing with these cars now where it's like if you're building a car from scratch, you're going to acid dip the chassis to get all the undercoating and all the sound deadening stuff off of it. Then you're going to take every, you know, these cars are made to withstand crashes. So they're layers upon layers upon layers of metal. So you got to literally take every peel it back to the point where it's like you have a quarter panel and a cage, nothing else, you know? So that, that's where it gets, you know, some of the newer cars that are out there that are a little more purpose built. That's where you're starting to see the advantages um, and stuff like that. The other thing is, you know, weight, moving weight around is very important in these cars. So you're seeing where if you can build the cars light enough, now you can put the weight where you want it. And that's honestly a big thing right now with our cars, you know, just to try to get the mechanical, you know, grip of the car up. So that that's a big thing. That's kind of like it's always, you know, the thing if you could go back with what you know now, we could definitely build a pretty badass car. We've done it before for a couple customers. Um, and you know, we've had some pretty good results. So yeah, like Drake you know. say, we've been in a progression of the sport. So for example, I start with AEM, he started with AEM. Yeah. Then, then we switched to Motec or whatever computer. You're talking about engine management exactly. right Exactly. Yes. We start with a uh, regular electric fuel pump. Now we're a mechanical fuel pump and so many things that we have changed. The turbos years. every, every turbos year. <laughs> that if, if we, yeah, if, like Ricky said, if you build a car today, I go with the baddest, the baddest parts from the gig. I don't have to Test think about it. it. Yeah, yes. it's already done. Yeah. Exactly. We, there's a lot more of a recipe out there now. Um, th and now more than ever, rather than in the past five years, where there was a lot of, I want to say in like the past five to seven years, there's been a lot of technological or advancements in the sport yep. in which, you know, you did see a big transition and it came along in a lot of the rules for and drama for the racing, right? Because mm -hmm. every time a new part was invented, came along with rules had to adjust. And the biggest thing in the last, I would say, five to seven years has been the turbo technology. Turbo technology is literally like leaps and bounds from what it was, you know. And even what we had seven years ago was badass compared to what we had ten years ago. Right. And even now, it's like you look at what they had back then to what they have now. Like when we were racing, you know, 2010, you know, the 72 millimeters that were out back then, you know, they were making a thousand horsepower, maybe 1100 if you were really, really pushing it. Now there's some 64 millimeter turbos out there that make a thousand horsepower, yeah, yeah, you absolutely. know, so evolution is definitely big between the turbos and the electronics. I think that's where the biggest thing is, you know, I think the class. biggest challenge for us is the small, the tire. That's where we see our limits now. You know, when you go out, it depends on the track. Yeah. One pass and the tire is gone. Chunks of it's chunking. So if we could fix that. How do you see that being fixed, though? It's tough. I mean, maybe put a bigger tire. <laughs> because we put in too much power. Way too much power to, to that little tire. That tire was never made yeah. to. 
support that much that much power so that's actually uh something i had a, i talked to the guys over at hoosier this past weekend that they were down at the world series that they were actually there and so was goodyear and we chunked a set of tires the first round but it was a set of tires that we ran at world cup so they ran on a highly glued track so whatever we went i mounted a new set of tires and i was like you know what let me just take them over there to get them balanced and I asked the guy, I'm like, hey, like, this is what we've been seeing. The technical term for it is delaminating, where the tire, like, pulls apart. And uh, I asked him, I was like, what are your, what's your opinion on what causes this? And he was like, it's something in the glue. He's like, there's a chemical in the glue. He was like, if you rent, like, if you go down the track in the groove, he's like, at Bradenton. Bradenton was more of a slick prep since there was a lot of big tire pro mod cars there. So it wasn't a ton of glue. He's like, if you get out of the groove and you get into like the real tacky, fresh glue, he's like, it'll rip the it's rubber right off the tire. It's destroying basically your tire. Picture like trying to rip skin off. Oh. So he says, he's like, we've noticed it more and more as you get to the tighter tracks. He's like, we also think there's like, it's a combination of that and a chemical in the glue that they use. Um, I also asked, you know, Krista Baldwin races top fuel that you guys know. And I asked her, I was like, hey, have you guys ever ran into this? She says, yeah. She's like, we see the same thing. If we race after, you know, so the top fuel only races a thousand foot. She's like, if we race after like pro mod or pro stock that they race all the way to the quarter mile, he's like, when you get out of that thousand foot and it's still kind of sticky out there, she's like, it'll, it, it'll rip up the tire. So you didn't, I don't think you saw as bad a tire damage this weekend. Like I know fast guy ran all weekend on one set of tires. Um, I know after I put on the one set, we made, I think, like four or five runs on the same set of tires. So I don't know if it's one of those things. You know, the other thing that I kind of questioned at one point was, is it like a COVID material shortage thing where they were doing whatever they can get their hands on to make tires? Because at one point you couldn't get tires. At right, all. right. Like everyone was hoarding tires. Like if you can get them, you held on to them and you held on to them so you could go racing. Um, but you know, I guess we'll see. But like Rolando said, we are pushing that tire to a point that it wasn't really designed for. Um, I know there's been some talks of people trying to, you know, maybe make a bigger tire. But we'll see because at the end of the day, you know, our class is limited to a certain tire. So if these companies come out and make a tire and the classes don't allow it, then it's going to start a big can of worms because it's going to be like, all right, well, you know, either – people are not going to race because that tire is not allowed or the sanctioning bodies are going to have to allow it and i adjust the rules you know tends to happen with every single it technological does. Ad yeah. it does. advance here some stuff some stuff you know the way things are you know people go about things is not correct on both sides um but at this point the tire thing has become a safety thing because it's getting to a point where you know guys are losing tires on the top end. You know, you lose a tire to 190. I've done it at like 180 and it's not fun. You know, I know. So it's, it's definitely tricky. You don't, you know, you don't want guys wadding up cars either. How many years ago would you say the car, the cars were in nine second field and then getting that eight second was an achievement? Was that shit? I think eight years ago, you guys went, what? Eight's probably like 2009, 2010. Yeah. Well, they, they, actually that car was the first one. Sport from a right legal car to win eights. Ten yeah. years ago? Ten years ago at World yeah. Cup. Yeah, we, we won eights in 2012. So that's kind of cool knowing that. So, you know, originally this field started off as a nine-second field. Yeah. Yeah. 
then 10 years later became an eight-second field. Eight-second, eight-ninety, eight and then... Then another 10 years later, now seven, a seven-second field. It's definitely progressed from, like, 850 to the sevens. I think it's gone, like, exponentially fast. fast. Yeah, just And it became a seven-second field last year? No. Two years? No. Two, a couple years ago. A couple years, four or five years. I think huh? Ramey was the first one. Yeah, right? I want to say, like, 2017, maybe. Oh, was no way. It was the first yeah. seven-second yeah. pass? 16, yeah. 17, something like that, yeah. And it's kind of crazy because guys like Ricky are still trying to crack that seven. It's not easy, man. It's not easy, you know. It's you got uh, in the eight O's, the, the eight O curts. Yeah, yeah. I like know personally, fast guy and Ricky hit that this weekend, yeah, right? We like, both, yeah, it's fast like guy ran a couple personal bests, and then. Uh, but eight O was like you say the eight O curse. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, the same thing when we used to run eights. I remember Alan was driving the car back then, and he was going nine O's, nine O's, nine O, nine O, nine O. He couldn't go sevens. I mean eights. Eight. Yeah. Into that one perfect time happens and boom, it went 890. And from there on, the car was 890. 890 and that's, that's the thing, too, that guys don't realize is like, like oh, like, what's it going to – like, the, we actually – this conversation came up the other day and someone said, they were like, oh, you know, I don't know what it takes to go a 1360 foot because I've never done it. But now when you do it, you know what it looks like. You know what the data looks like. Now you can replicate it. It's the same thing with us. We haven't gone sevens yet with any of our cars except the hot rod car and the all-wheel drive car very different platforms but on the small tire once we figure out okay this is what it takes to go sevens then we'll be able to replicate it a little bit easier and honestly my 801 looking at the data today with Cunha that might have been a 7.9 because I was out on the shoot a little bit early and you know judging by what the ground speed in the data was showing from our 801 to the 8.1 from the day before we were up like four mile an hour, five mile an hour on the run that went 187 the day before. So could it have been? Who knows? But it's one of those things. But once we get it there, it, it's gonna, it'll get there and it'll probably end up staying there or being running in that range. But it's just, you know, until you get the first one out of the way, it's like with anything else. A couple of years ago, people thought going sevens on a small tire was impossible. And then yeah. little by little, you got one car, two cars. Now, shit. Yeah, cars that are consistently 15, 20 cars probably that are all seven-second cars. Yeah. So Once you crack it, then that, to be honest to you, you're so close. You, you, it's, now, it's, it's just a one percentage on a 60-foot, and yeah. it will make it happen. And that's it. That's yeah. it. Now, for, for you guys, you know, especially running sport front, what do you think? I, I feel like sometimes in, our, in, in that class, everyone just wants to run that fastest time. And instead of, you know, that fastest time might be great for qualifying or, you know, for maybe one round. But if you can't go rounds, you're not going to win the race. So Absolutely. what do you guys think is like a sweet spot for that class to, to run and, you know, be competitive so that you can go go rounds and not side by to, side racing, you know, eight, blow eight, up the motor. Eight, eight, seven, ninety. Yeah, that's the perfect, perfect run. If, if you can keep it, if you can keep a consistent like eight oh bracket car, you could definitely win races for sure. Um this the thing is a lot of guys mentalities are a little bit you know messed up when it comes to racing now there's a lot of glorification on just the home run shot you know everyone wants to go knock one out the park blast the number but they'll go and burn it to the ground blast the number first round and they win but now they can't make second round so that's never good either um you know my mentality has always been play the long game in the sense of like i want to go win races you know, yes, do we want to go fast? Absolutely. That's what we're all here for. But to me, I could go out there. I could go 750 today. 
tomorrow someone comes out, goes 740, no one cares about my 750 anymore. But if I go out and win 10 races that pay $5,000 a race, when I look at my bank account, I see that money there. Those records, they're gone the next day. So to me, especially when you're taking money that you're making racing to reinvest into your program, that stuff's important. There's guys out there, and you see it all the time. There's a reason why there's guys that come out, run fast, and then you don't see them again because it gets super expensive and it's out of control. Even if you got guys that have crazy bucks, they come out, they, you know, blast the number the one time then they go out there they blow three four motors next thing you know the cars parted out and they're out of the game where guys like rolando myself we've been racing shit i have raced every single year since to that our my the first event my car went to was world cup of 2010 and since that world cup my car has raced every single season a minimum of like five to six races yep. a season here. And I think that's why, so, I'm, that's why I'm bringing that up because of the longevity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you guys are both accomplished racers with multiple event wins, you know what I mean? Um, Rolando, well, is it your well, strategy uh, as well? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean. Are you all? I like to go fast, like Ricky says, but, you know, winning is always obviously important. Yeah. You know, having those trophies when you get to the shop is, is, is nice to have. But over the years, we... We've been changing and we try to learn different things on the car, so it's been kind of like guide us different direction because, you know, our car is new to Motec. We put it in Motec like two years ago. We're still learning. And, you know, we got it to go fast, but we need a lot of help. So you, fastest you've been in that car, 7.8, right? 7.92. So was that 7.92 a mistake? No, no, because they've done it a couple of times. So. But we're still learning. Like, the, like for example, the car was a seven-second pa- seven car last year all the way to the point that we lost it what do you we mean couldn't even make a pass because you blew it up no because we have issues yeah, like electrical like issues or we have a setting that i guess we lost from track to track i couldn't even put the car in second gear until this past weekend we figured out what it was yeah sometimes it happens like that it happens we, we went perfect like what he said we went 807 2018 at world cup and we went 803 last year and then 801 this we went last year in october we went 803 and then this last weekend we had 801 look at the gap there the other thing that i think it's a lot of years it is because there's times where every time we go out we're trying new stuff on the car like hey you know what we just want our fastest let's change everything and see if we can make it better sometimes mm-hmm. you make it worse yeah i feel you like know? you're in a very tough position ricky because i know you want to win the events but I also know you want that seven-second pass. I do. You're 100% right I do. But the other thing, too, that now I think uh, Rolando, too, he's kind of been in this situation kind of coming and going where at one point he's the only car from his camp racing all the time. So you got one car gathering data. Same thing with me. At one point, basically my car was the only car out there running most of the year. Uh, Fast Guy's car was K-Series, so the data doesn't exactly correlate 100%. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, we had other random customers that would come out once or twice a year. And if you looked at their cars, they would come out and go fast. Right. But what people don't see is they look like, oh, well, such and such as car came out and it ran fast. It's like, yeah, but such and such came out and had six months of Ricky's data to go off of to help build it to that point. So now that was actually part of the reason behind why Fast Guy went B-Series. Fast Guy was like, ah, you know. 
I see all these guys having success with the B-Series platform. I think I'm going to go B-Series. And I told him, I was like, you going B-Series would be the best thing for both of us. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, that would be two cars with the same setup to get that off of. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, And man. you're saying this because you guys have the same tuner. Yes. That's same, exactly. Yeah, yeah, same tuner. Like, if you look at some of the more successful teams or guys that have gotten the fastest, it's usually teams that have multiple cars. six, seven cars. So it's like, hey, I could put seven different tune-ups out there. Or I'll put a tune-up in one car. Once he goes down the track, I can make a decision off of that and say, hey, that was too hot. I need to go back down the next car. But when you're the only car out there, you're also – and when you're also trying to compete, you know, once it comes race day, you're not making drastic changes to the car. But now when you have two cars to go off – and prime example this weekend, you know, Fast Guy's car – you know, that car was brand new last year. It made like three passes. Four passes went at like an 830 or something the first day. They took it out, shaking it down. This weekend, he went, you know, a 30, I think a, a 20, a teen, and then an 80 in four runs. Car still together, drove it in the trailer, no issues. But that was, again, that's part of the plan. Like, he came in. He knew what he wanted to do. We had a game plan. Hey, we're going to set up both cars very identical so the data from one will translate to another. And, you know, and it works. And that's the thing. When you have – you know, teams that have six, seven cars, you see that they succeed a lot at a faster level where, you know, you look at guys like myself or Orlando or even like Wes Spry and, you know, him and Jason Hunt. They have, you know, Wes is basically the only car from that camp. You know, they used to have one or two cars that would come out once or twice a year. But it's like Wes, for the most part, did a lot of his own R&D because he was the only car out there racing. Same thing with us, you know. Once you get to that point where you have – you know, some of these teams from down south, you know, they got one tuner that has like seven cars. So once you figure it out on one car, it eventually ends up translating down the line, you know. So that's a big thing, you know, just having multiple car teams. And if you look at the domestic side, look at pro stock, pro stocks like that. Usually it's one team that's got a handful of cars, you know, and they got your one car where it's like, hey, this one's like the test bed. As this one progresses, the rest of the team gets faster. I think you if know? you look in just just in general, like. Team, teams that go fast always have more than one car, bike. You know, you got Vance and Hines. You know, they got they got the bikes. They test. One bike is a test bike. Yep. One other yep. bike is, is going to go rounds, you know, and, and they're just using that for data. Yeah. I, I, I heard uh, Nick this weekend talking. He was doing a, one of those what do you do for a living videos, and somebody he was interviewing was a tuner. Mm-hmm. So Nick asked him, he's like, uh, so is it always the tuner's fault? And he's like, yes, fault. it's always the tuner's fault. <laughs> it's it, funny hearing that from it, the tuner. It's the tuner's fault when it goes fast, and it's the tuner's fault when it blows up. Yep. So I, so who tunes your cars? I don't. So, oh. so that's one of the parts that this, that, you know, it took us, it's been taking us the most to to progress, and a class because you know Alan, we wanted to have in-house we, fabricator, in-house yes, tuner. Yes, we we don't want to rely on people. And he wasn't a tuner. You know, before it was Starting, Felix, yes. you know, and Felix still messed with the car. And then, uh, you know, we, we need to go to a dyno. We go to his dyno, and he helped us and stuff. But um, when we switched to Motec, Randy helped us because he knows that Motec. RS Tech, Randy. Yes, he knows it a lot. And then he so, taught Alan? Yeah, he helped, he helped us. He still helped us. You know, but Alan, you know, an infinity time, when, Al, when Felix started racing, you know, we, we, we can't depend on nobody. We need to go race. And who was there to, to tune the car? So Alan was like, I'm taking over. Yeah. 
And this is actually a good topic to bring up because, man, for me, looking at what the tuners are doing, it's a foreign language. It's like me trying to learn, um, you know, Portuguese or something right now. It's like, I, I don't know. I'm learning from scratch. And that's why Alan was like, uh, I'm not going to try no more. Did Alan have an idea or he was like, he, this he is learning it. a new yeah, language he, to him? No, he, he likes it a little bit, but he's, uh, it was like new for him. It's intimidating. Like, yeah. It's it's so, some, there's something totally different. And he's like, you drive and I, 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 get, I, get, I get the laptop. There had to be some blown motors in between him learning I'm here. pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> we, we have some issues here and there. And then, you know, still today, we still have issues that he's learning, but he's very meticulous. You know, he's... If you go to a racetrack and you see him with the computer, he sits in a computer for an hour, the whole entire seat time that we have. So I got a question here for yeah. somebody watching here, and they want to be a tuner. Clearly, Alan knows where to start. Where, where do you start if you want to learn how to tune cars on MoTeC or AEM? Like, what, what do you, is there a class that you go to? You can. Yes, you can. Yeah, there, you there's can a lot of classes. classes out there now. Like, yeah. I'm a nobody. I'm foreign language to me. I want to be a tuner. There's a uh, class yeah. I go to to be a tuner? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, What's the name uh, of this class? Well, there's a couple different. There's a EFI University's one. That's that's actually, like, more in person. They're is this, out. like, a six-week course? Is this a one-day? EFI University has all kinds of stuff. And then there's a high-performance academy. Um, they, they're all, like, on online based where you could do like, you know, just, you know, mo e modules at your own pace. And, and they have everything from like the very, very basics. Like, all right, here's a four stroke engine and how it works. And here's what input sensors do and what output sensors, you know, or actuators do. And here's how like, you know, anyone who took this class, oh, I've, I've paid, I have one of those courses just, you know what it is. It's, it's some of the stuff is super basic. And when you're, you know, for like guys like us that have been doing it for a long time, it's like, all right, like, you know, all this stuff, but then there's like those little tiny things that you'll get from some of that stuff, like just certain different ways of approaching problems. And honestly, at the level that we're at with our cars, once you do like the fuel injection tuning, like on the dyno, like get the car up and running and it's the air fuels are correct. You're not really touching that stuff at the track. What you're, what's considered more tuning at the track now is what like the power management side of things where it's like, all right. You know, how much boost does it need in first gear? How much traction control does it need in first gear? That's the stuff that takes time to figure out and, you know, and get that get Yeah, going. that's what basically he got from Felix. Felix started teaching him, do this, do that, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, always calling and do this. And he's pretty good now. I mean, I, I'm... You, you can make good money just tuning cars out there. Oh, so if anyone watching this wants absolutely. to, you know, have some interest, I the think these guys just gave some... Uh, the biggest thing I... I always tell people is like listen if you really want to get into it like tune your own car like get get a stock car put a you know a s300 on it an am on it and just learn the fundamentals like basically like all right the car you know there's an ignition timing number that that it needs but why does it need that number you know there's you get guys that sometimes want to learn how to tune cars, but they don't want to learn. They just like, oh, tell me what number to put there. Mm -hmm. Like, but there's a you reason why, why that you don't number even know is there. Why it's they there. don't know why that number is there. And then when something blows up, they're like, they don't know why. And that's the biggest thing. Ninety-nine percent of tuning is solving problems because a lot of times when these cars show up, they don't run right because it's not tuning related. It's because something else is like the map sensor on backwards. Or yeah. You know, like something yeah, your like wires that. crossed. Yeah, to be a tuner, you need to understand how the engine works knows a little bit of wiring yeah and knows your numbers on the computer yeah and like to solve problems yes i think um, if you don't like to solve problems don't try to be a tuner no no, no. no. definitely not. the funny thing is like back in the day 
uh, when everyone started running some type of engine management that was like you know outside of a power fc or something <laughs> like that yeah. you know i think clm was one of the first people that you know like you said start working on your own cars you know yeah. cunha was working on his own yeah cunha started cunha's cars are running it's like yeah. Where'd this car come from out of nowhere? Yeah, Cunha bought consistently a, kicking, you know, kicking yeah. everybody at his ass. Cunha bought an AEM V1 one just for his own car and uh, not driving up and down out. 22, doing pulls. Ripping How it. many years ago was that? That was probably like 2003, 2002. Man, look at that. Proof in the pudding. 20 years later, yeah. a very recognized, same thing with Felix, accredited. You know? yeah, same thing. Felix, I mean, Felix is probably about the same age, maybe a little bit older than Cunha. Even though well, Felix, Felix is old, Felix is older <laughs> he's than a vampire. He's a vampire. Man, why yeah. you, why you guys put him under the bus like that? But uh, Felix was around too for a long time back in like the Excel DS. Felix is days. watching this like those motherfuckers. Yeah, he's fifty-five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's funny because Cunha was my guy to go for transmissions. Yeah, see, like, yeah. But and that's kind of crazy. So you're saying Alan's only two years into tuning cars, and he's no, it's a little bit more, a little yeah. bit more, because he was messing with the coupe. Okay. Back then. You know what? I, while we were talking, I'm looking. That's the coupe right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Nick, you gotta get B-roll of this. That's actually the the DP uh, the coupe. That's our backdrop right over here. Yeah. So like, as far as like now, what they were talking about, like engine engine management. How far do you think the sport advanced, or like you know? took off after switching to Motec because for a long time it was you AM. know AEM yeah. and some I mean some guys are still running Honda but I mean AEM w was seemed to have like a you know a good grip on the Honda on from a drive car has been I don't think it hasn't been a car with Honda and a front wheel drive for like well, I'm just saying that years, I'm just saying that's where right? it progressed from. Like, well, yeah, fast, so Honda, fast, fast front wheel and drive, then, and then Honda. But it's crazy you say that because. We were just having this conversation at the shop. On the race car level, he's right. But street cars, nowadays, we were talking about it the other day. Like, I can't tell you when's the last time we tuned a street car with AEM. Everything is Honda now on, on yeah. street cars. But when it gets to a point that you need, like, more of the bells and whistles of engine management, like, you need traction control, you need good boost control, you need two steps. And There's stuff. levels to this. Oh, yeah. That's when the engine. That's when you know your AEMs, your Motex, your fuel techs, Haltech, whatever's there. Because the price there. tag comes along with Correct. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that's you're ultimately you're, it. You're paying for those features. Yeah. You know, like when yeah. you buy a Motec, you buy a brand new Motec. You know the M800 when they came out, they're like six, seven thousand dollars, and you get the box. But now, let's say you want to do drive-by wire. That's an option. So now you call Motec. They're like, okay, you got to send us five hundred dollars, and we're going to give you a password. You punch the password and it unlocks a drive-by wire. Because like that, they can give you a box that's capable of a lot of different things, but then you're not you're only paying for what you need. So that mm, was a thing. Like okay. those advances, you know, definitely helped. But nowadays there's there's tons of stuff out there. The electronics for sure have come a long way. Um, and even the biggest thing now is too is the flexibility of like with like the Motec that Rolando runs, the M1 series. If they're like, hey, you know what? We want this feature to do this weird like control strategy. They could call Motec and say, hey, this is what we want to do. Can you add it? And they'll add it to the software. So where years ago, you couldn't get that. Like some stuff, like Mo the old Motecs, you could kind of build some tab special tables based off of whatever you wanted. But now, in, like nowadays, it's a little bit more involved, but you can do a lot of crazy control strategies with the stuff that's out there. You guys only tune your cars? 
Huh? You guys only tune your cars, or is yeah. that? Because like at CLM, you could be anybody and go to your go yeah, to CLM yeah, to yeah. get tuned. Yeah, we offer tuning is one of the services we offer. Uh, we do dyno tuning just about every day of the week. But uh, as of right now, you guys only yeah, do we, your cars. We don't have time for that, so that's why we don't we don't offer it. You I need mean, to hire I, more people. I don't think uh, Alan wants to get to it, but oh, he's, okay. he's like holding back a little it, bit. It, I tell it, him like just go for time, it. In time, it's a headache. Yeah. Tuning race cars is a headache. Tuning street cars is not bad because the street car guys, you tune them, they go down the road. 99% of the time, you're not going to see that car again until they come back to the shop after they change something and they want to retune. The race car stuff, you're going to tune it. Now this guy wants you to go to the track with him. He wants you to pull logs. He wants you to, you know, look at data, make changes. When things aren't going well, you know, you're the one getting blamed. Yep. When things are going great, everyone's happy. But then when it's like, you know, hey, why is the car slow? It's like, well, you know, you're not shifting it correctly. You're not, you didn't stay on the two-step long enough. So it's like the race car thing's a little bit more involved. Sometimes it's, you know, we've gotten to a point where we won't tune like race car, like we won't tune sport front cars unless it's a car we're building for the simple fact that, you know, everyone likes to build stuff differently. We have, you know, our package that we know works and what we like to do things a certain way. Like, I want this oriented a certain way. Something as simple as like this harness needs to be routed a certain way. So we'll only tune cars that we built, but we build engines and transmissions for cars from everybody. But when it comes to the tuning side of things, you know, Cunha's at the point where he's like, it's just not worth it. You know, he's like, I'd rather go to the track one or two guys, not be bothered. He's like, it's a little bit more enjoyable that day. Rolando can attest those years when we had 10 and 15 cars, you know how many times we'd pull into the pit and there's like five or six cars over there waiting for Felix or for Cunha. Yeah. This guy's leaking right. oil in front of your pit. Like it just gets to a point where it was like, it wasn't enjoyable. Like, you know, like, all right, this guy had issues. I'm going to go see him first. Look at his car, next car. Next thing you know, you just ran through the entire pit and you're, it's time to go back up and you, you haven't had a minute to sit down. I'm curious, how does that work from a, a race car driver owner point of view? Am I paying the tuner for the weekend? It depends. Yeah, it's it all depends. just a yeah. different deal that you set you up. Have worked yeah. out, you know, it depends. Just... Like if it's one of those things where, like, all right, you know, let's say you're going to some race in the middle of nowhere and you want your tuner to go with you. Yeah, you're probably gonna have to pay for him to go, pay for his time, his travel expenses, stuff like that. Now, if it's a race like like this past weekend at at World Series of Proma, there's a lot of tuners there that are tuning six and seven cars. So at that point, they probably like, all right, guys. Here's what it's going to cost for the weekend. Each of you guys got to give me X amount of money, and then you guys got to split my expenses for the weekend. Mm. You know, but it depends. You know, if it's a car that we built, something like that, then we'll kind of work in the track support into like you know the tuning costs or part of the build. So you got to get an okay from uh, Cunha if you sell this car for a hundred grand. What kind of package Cunha is going to provide? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't can't know if, speak for him on yeah, that one. I don't think he'll go with that package. <laughs> you know what it is too is that. Hundred grand does not include the tuner. You know what it is? It's too. It's like every tuner will tell you probably the same. If you had a a Ricky or a Rolando or you know I don't know who else we could use. Like even a fast guy. Fast guy's a little more part time, but he still comes out. But some of these guys that are, you know, their car is going to show up to the track ready to go. They have some spare parts. They know how to work on the car. So when something goes wrong, you're like, hey, this is wrong. Go fix it. They're going to fix it. They're going to come back. It's going to run. But then you get guys that like, 
show up to the track, the cars are unprepared, they're not prepared, like they can't put string three gear shifts together, they can't wait for the light, can't stay on the two-step long enough. Like it gets to a point where it's frustrating. And it's like, man, do I really want to sit here and deal with this or do I just I'd rather just be home? You know, so that's the thing. If you got guys that are prepared, it's a little bit more enjoyable to race that way. And it's the same thing in the domestic world. I know a lot of guys that tune big dog domestic stuff. And they're like, man, they're like, I get calls all the time and I, I don't want to deal with it. Like, I'd rather just not deal with it. You know, some guys, you know, when you're younger and hungrier, you got something to prove. But you'll see a lot of these guys, like, they're the hot ticket today. And then tomorrow it's like they got less and less cars because they're like, you know what? I don't want to deal with it anymore. I don't. I don't need to prove anything. I know I could go get cars to go down the track fast. And I'd rather my peace of mind, I'd rather go to the track and enjoy myself than sit there running around like a chicken. With Just like Rolando wants his Sundays off now. You yeah, know? absolutely. You get, there's levels. Yeah, man. Yeah, I got to go ride my bike and stuff. I like it. My bicycle. You got to hit bicycle. the gym, right? Bicycle. Huh? Got to hit the gym. That's oh, that's every day. Sundays, Sundays, I'm off. Oh, man. This guy hits the trails. Yep. <laughs> Hey, no, I appreciate you guys for the time. There was a lot of good information on here. I think uh, one of the biggest things here is if you want a seven-second EK, 150000 If you want an eight-second EK coupe as well, full package with the trailer, hundred grand. But, you know, if it goes seven ninety nine tomorrow, that price might go up too. <laughs> <laughs> We're just at the start of the season, guys, 2023. It kicked off last weekend. That was the first race for both of you guys, right? Yes, yes. How many races do you guys see yourself running this year? Uh, probably for me, I'm probably going to go to Florida one more time and I'm going to Colorado too for oh, a race. Oh, nice. Oh, yes. nice. With the PFI guys. Nice. Um, it's, it's a weekend. It's a weekend there that they have, I mean, it's two weekends straight that they have races. So we're going to go there two for one, leave everything there, fly back and then fly back Whoa. for the other one. So wow, that's, that's cool. Gonna that's going to be good. So I, I, for me, probably at least. 11, 12 races. Nice. That's a lot. What you looking like, Reggie? Right now, I think I have seven on my schedule. Um, you know, we got a baby due in the next couple of weeks, so kind of playing it by year. Tentative. There. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that. Um, right now, I think our next race is going to be uh, Spring Nationals at Atco Dragway, um, as of right now. Um, now, depending on how everything goes with the baby, most likely we'll, we won't be going to H-Day. That was never on our schedule, um, just because that's definitely way too close. And then after that, we're kind of going to play it by year. I know there's a race in Virginia that uh, at the yeah. Shakedown, which is kind of going to be a similar format to this past weekend, where it's going to be the ex front wheel drive guys in a domestic race. Um, but depending on, you know, we'll see how everything goes with the baby getting here. And if everything goes smooth, then we might bring the car out a couple more times. I just want to add one more thing. How did you guys like the chip draw um, race? No, yeah, well, that was fun. Yeah. So the format working? of the race at World Series of Pro Mod wasn't your standard qualify into, you know, the ladder. It was a chip draw. I'll let one of these guys explain how that worked because I, I don't even know how that worked. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So the, uh, the format was, so they had, it was an invitational race. So they invited 25 guys for our class. Uh, everyone went in onto a qualifying sheet. They took the top 16 cars from the weekend. And then instead of, you know, the normal format of where one race is 16, two races 15, they put everyone's names in a hat and they just drew out of the hat. So, you know, there was a couple pretty solid first round matchups. Like even our first round matchup was a killer. I think he qualified like four or five, you know, so there were some, some interesting races. But honestly, 
at a race like that, it doesn't matter who, who you draw. Everyone that's there is a killer. Yeah. You know, like perfect example, the pro mod race, number 32 is who won that race, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, you never know. But, um, no, the, the chip draw thing was pretty cool. Um, the only thing I wish, I wish we could have been up there for the chip draw. Cause it was kind of like everything happened very fast because I think they had a little bit of a TV schedule to follow. But preference uh, over, wise, you know, is the chip draw something you think other events should be utilizing or it doesn't pretty, really pretty matter? Interested, like, because, because like, like Ricky says, it is it, anybody's chances. Example, the, the frontward drive car that won the event, it qualifying his last pass. Yeah. No, it is. Uh, it was definitely interesting. Um, I still like the qualified format because you could kind of strategize a little bit like that, you know, especially if you know if you got a little bit of an easier draw first round. But this, you don't know who you're drawing, you know. Every round, it could be, you know, anyone's game. Sometimes... The chip draw thing has gotten real popular because of the street outlaw stuff. The, the no prep kings, they do all chip draw, and that's definitely gotten popular. But the thing with the chip draw that's cool is sometimes you got, you know, your number one and number two guy going at it first, first yeah, round. First round, you that's, know? That's and, and if you're not the number one or number two guy, that's good for everyone else because that means that's a heavy hitter that's going home first right. round. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. And I think, and I think at, at that race, all the number one qualifiers – lost first round a lot of the uh there was definitely a lot of upsets yeah, first round crazy. in every class because even the pro crazy. mod class we were up there for first round of pro mod watching and it's like you know i'm telling steve like hey this car should be fast that car should be fast and like they're going out there and knocking the tires off and it's like man like what the hell like no one can get down the track yeah but it's just you know at a race like that everyone wants to bring more than not bring enough mm-hmm. and that's yeah. usually what happens that's cool so, all right, so that wraps us up. Episode number two. Appreciate both of you guys for coming out. Thank you. Like I said, I think Ricky's uh, becoming a regular on this show. And if they want to follow you, your Instagram is DP Race Parts. at DP Race Parts. If you want to follow Ricky, what's your socials? You could do uh, Ricky CLM or CLM Motorsports, or you could uh, follow my company, ProBearing. And Hugo is at Hugo ESR and myself at Brian ESR. Thank you guys again. Make sure you hit the like button, subscribe. Drop a comment, share, and most importantly, share. Thank you guys for watching again.